Thanks for listening to the Subtext Podcast. We are a Leeds-based record label. We really hope you can get involved with our Patreon, which is only £3 a month, and will help support the label and the artists on it and allow us to keep doing this podcast. But the best thing you can do is just tell other people. Tell other people about the music we're releasing, tell other people about the record label, and tell other people about the podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to episode four of the Subtext Podcast. This is in no way the, about the fourth time we start this podcast, <laughs> and uh, for various reasons. My name is Ed, and I am with... Eli. Seth. Um, how is everyone? Because basically, you've all been sick and ill and broken, which, mm. you know, and I haven't. And I've just sat home gloating when I've texted you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do. That's, That's what, what do. you do. It's, you know, it's I'm what, so glad I'm... Not ill, and these other people are. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you. Um, <laughs> that's called friendship. <laughs> it's kind of the supportive work environment that we have. You know, <laughs> I say, some people call it toxic. I say it's, you know, competitive. <laughs> <laughs> My immune system's better than yours. <laughs> I, I haven't broke. Oh, actually. Oh, you have broken. I have, yeah. I might have broken it so. <laughs> because yeah. you two have fucking cursed me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not a pagan for nothing. They have to. I have to use my gifts for something. I've got a little beanie boo that's called Ed. Yeah, know, and I stick needles in it. So. You know, I mean, hasn't everyone? <laughs> <laughs> I think Andrea's got off several. <laughs> I think she hands them out. <laughs> Where do you think we got ours from? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you reckon that should be our next merch line? <laughs> yes, like voodoo dolls of all three of us, just in case we release a song you don't like or yeah, yeah. we say something you don't like on the on the podcast. So Seth's one will do uh, the best then. <laughs> <laughs> Want something controversial? Or look at the Mauchowitz. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Full of pens. Yeah, Seth's been... Seth's been sick for a while then I got sick I, br- uh, I cracked a rib oh um, my god falling I... down <laughs> I don't know why I said that like it would happen any other way yeah. although I I broke a rib once uh, on stage did you really? <laughs> yeah I got I got the shit kicks out of me in a theatre production and uh, they didn't choreograph it properly so I just every night I just had the shit kicks out of me <laughs> and this guy just kicked, kicked me in the ribs oh my god I broke a rib <laughs> Oh dear. I was I was young. I mean, although I've never breathed properly since, but you know, it was fine. Oh good. I'm on I'm on so many pain meds at this point now. I mean, I'm like, I'm not even sure what's coming out of my You're gonna you're gonna get a really unobstructed view of my mind today. I'm on too many pain meds to, to control anything. The filters are open. Oh yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh Seth. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I just I got my ass kicked by some virus or another, having having not had one for like almost two years, and then you know gloating about it, uh, and and uh, yeah, no, that was my downfall. Don't gloat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Someone has a doll of you somewhere, and that's how you ended up getting it. Yeah, well, that and because you gloated. I, I, I ran myself into the ground, and then I was in a car with people coughing for about two and a half hours. So mm. I, yeah, I, I felt it creeping. The, the sniffles and then the, I just on oh, my back just hurts a bit and I don't know why and then I can't stand up yep. <laughs> yeah. and then just crying I just cry when I get really <laughs> oh do you know it's I, having not been ill for so long this time like I could not fucking sleep at all oh, and yeah. it was so bad and I was like I don't remember not being able to like sleep at all you know like about yeah. a wink for days and wow. it, was, it was really really bad so you end up getting a bit delirious with that kind of lack of sleep too. I mean, yeah. 
I, I get it when I have like a, a hyperfixation or something like that and it's totally self-imposed that I won't sleep because I was uh, researching the life cycle of caterpillars or something. <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> I mean, everyone's favorite subject, right? <laughs> and then like over the next couple of days, if I continue to not get very much sleep, I'll... I, I just go completely delirious. I'll drop a spoon and burst into tears. And like, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I think you know, you know, if you're gonna cry, I just think own it, right? Just go fuck it. I am having this shit. Oh, yeah. Um, aside from crying, <laughs> drop spoons, and breaking things, and getting ill, uh, has anyone been doing hard time for anything else? Well, Seth. Fold just released a brand new single. Yeah. Uh, Forever War came out on January 26th. And that, yeah, it's about taking on the military industrial complexes for calling them out for being cunts. Mm. I think that's perfectly acceptable. Yep. Profiteering from war. It's not a nice thing to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about standing like that is, you know, that is a. That's a Goliath right there. That yeah. You are very much the David in this. But you know. That's right. Throwing, yeah. throwing stones at giants. Yeah. That's what we Good do. on you. Yeah, but you're throwing stones to a beat. It's a, it's a, musical, it's a musical David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fucking hell. Uh, and Eli, have you even. Um, well, I've just started doing some freelance work uh, with the Old Chapel Music Studios. Oh, good. Top, top guy. So if, can you explain who they are for those oh, people who yeah. don't know who they are? Well, um, they're an incredible recording studio and kind of community space um they are i think they've been around since the 80s they're the oldest uh built to purpose rehearsal studio in leeds um and they have all of these outreach programs their main goal is making sure that music is accessible for everyone and that music shouldn't be something that you can do or not do based on your income um so it's been incredible to work with them and to meet some of the people um that were freelancers there that now have their own businesses that they run out of old old uh, Chapel Music Studios. So it's been absolutely incredible to be around all of them. And you were saying that like one of the things they're doing is trying to empower uh, freelancers, which is, like, as someone who's had their entire career as a freelancer, not necessarily a, a, a typical thing. So Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times uh, freelancers are very convenient for a, a lot of um, studios and a lot of companies because you can call them in when somebody calls in sick. Um, and so I think that what, Old Chapel's doing is quite rare, actually, trying to empower them to build their own careers, which means that ultimately they won't be able to freelance anymore and they'll have to start a cycle in new people. Um, so it's a very, it's a very community-based um, group and it's incredible to feel a part of it. Yeah, I did quite a bit of work with them when I used to work with um, Centre Stage, which was a brilliant charity run. So Martin House, which is a hospice for young people life-limiting illnesses. Uh, they used to think called Centre Stage, where, you know, everyone kind of played the, bell, the heats of the Belgrave, and the final was always done at, at the O2. And uh, an old chapel used to support it with, like, all their equipment. So everyone had a back line. They'd, be, they'd give rehearsal space. They would give mentoring time. It was just an absolutely incredible thing. So, yeah. All power to it, you know. And, you know, great those places exist in Leeds and proof of why Leeds is just such a brilliant music city. Yeah, it really is. It was really nerve-wracking moving here from London, but I found that this community in the north is is so supportive in comparison because I think London is just so oversaturated that feelings of competitiveness are not only natural but encouraged. Yeah. Versus in Leeds, there is kind of a community feel of, you know, oh, you're starting out. I know quite a bit, so, like, why don't you shadow me for a day or, you know, that kind of thing? I think, you know, with, as someone who's been part of the 
Leeds community for years and years and years in various different guises. You know, that is... Whenever I felt like things have just hit hard times or things feel difficult, just think, it seems to just come along and just kind of scoop you up and go, it's all right, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I think a really good way of describing that is um, if you feel held. Yeah. Like I heard that in a film recently where they were asking, oh, do you feel held by this by this group, by this person? Yeah. And I think if you're in a, if, if you ever have a knockback in your career or something like that, and you look around, even the people within your immediate circle within that same industry, do you feel held by them? And I think I feel held by like the Leeds music scene. Yeah. And you know, that's how I mean, me and Seth, we met God, how many years ago now, you know, and like and that was through because Jack, who ran Iga Studios, was kind of really keen for me to work with new people. And so essentially me and him agreed that I'd just do some free sessions with some ace people. And we, we realized how much we had in common, you know. Yeah, pretty much immediately. Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. I remember that first phone call I had. It was in the kitchen upstairs and it was just like, you were like, yeah, so I'm really into like like Herbalizer and like, you know, and I'm also currently listening just nonstop to like the, the uh, st- you know, um, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack because I'm obsessed with the snare. And like, and I was just like, <laughs> I love this dude already. You know, he's, he's speaking my language. Like when you go obsessed with snare sounds, it's like, oh, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, you went the extra mile to get that snare sound for us. <laughs> Yeah, it does kind of lead in well to what we were talking about um, for this episode because... Yeah, that's why I'm going to awkwardly interrupt and just yeah. remind us that we, we've got a gig coming up. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the Old Woolen in yeah. Farsley, which is in Leeds. And a great, great it, venue. It's a big one. Uh, yeah, grand old venue. And, uh, so exciting. It is a subtext event. Uh, it is. Folder headlining and we will have Oakley Riot. Hey. And we will have Cobla <laughs> MC. And we will also fold. We'll have the horn section on stage. So, oh really? Oh, oh that's yes. going to be amazing. Um, yeah, Emma's coming. Emma's coming. Emma's coming. Oh. the great Emma Johnson. Everybody, she's, just a little uh, plug for Emma yeah, Johnson. Uh, quite, I think, quite right. An absolute shout out for Emma Johnson. She's a genius. She was. That was the first session that you and I did together. Mm-hmm. Well, it was that record, and she was fresh out of university. She had had no actual experience of like very, very little at oh, that man. point. And um, she, yeah, I just I took. Took her on a wing and a prayer. I I liked the cut of her jib. Yes. And, and man, did she come through. Yeah, she's brilliant. And and it's sort of so she's got her own project as well, which uh, is Gravebank Music, which is brilliant yeah. and, and sort of seems to be doing, you know, just brilliant stuff. And Jack, who we mentioned earlier, you know, uh, the High Public Club has become like a real centre of that as well. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, new kind of new jazz acts playing within that. So yeah, shout out to Leeds again because it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Leeds, yeah. we love you. Leeds, so, Leeds has some killer horn players. It, it really does. It really does. I mean, so I suppose like it leads on because so Seth, like how you've been obviously into music for a long time. How did you get involved with music, and what's kind of dictated how decisions you've made? I suppose. Oh God, it's a big that's, one. That's a big one. I mean, yeah, just, uh, from an early age, gravitating towards music, it was always the thing that kind of. Uh, found uh, even even before I could use it as a means of creative expression, I understood it intuitively that way, and it, it spoke to me um, emotionally with depth greater than any other art form. And eventually, I heard Public Enemy, <laughs> and that was the turning point for me. That that was like that that was like the things, all the things that mattered to me most coalescing in one place. The you know being able to reflect the state of the world with passion and with um, you know, concision and um, fire and 
over amazing beats, you know, and just being really free. Uh, I knew I had to do that. I knew I had to do that in some way. But it was a long time before uh, I found my voice. Mm. Um, so I, I started making music when I was, yeah, when I was like 12, 13, something. I got, I got, this was like before digital shit. So I, I got a four track in 1993 and I just made shit. I wrote, I played, I was, I was in bands all throughout my teens and like I just became completely obsessed with music. Guitar was my instrument. I was playing guitar a lot and um, I got to, I got to a pretty high level. And then I went to university and I didn't really get into the like, you know, serious classical thing. I just did a, a big mishmash of stuff. And I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to make a living off of this, but I don't give a shit. So I just did. I made, I made, I made, 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 created, and you know, thousands of recordings, tapes, you know, everything. And eventually um, I was on an airplane. After I graduated from university, I was on an airplane on the way to Holland, and I had I had burned a CD. <laughs> this is like this is the late nineties, yeah. So it was like so that burning was cutting edge shit at that point. Really was. Yeah. yeah. My friend had like given me a, a CD writer because he'd gotten a better one, and I was like, holy shit! I like got it working on my on my Mac beige Mac G three, and uh, and I managed. And it took like eight attempts, and the CDs kept failing, and I was like. Fuck! Because every time it failed, you have to throw it out. And yeah, yeah. I finally, I had this one CD, you know, and it was it was everything I'd worked on, and I'd saved up like a whole summer to buy the Mac, and, and I, you know, I was in university, like had my own computer, I was making shit, and it was all crazy. And um, I sat next to a guy, and he was like, he was, he was got chatting to him. He was into music, and he was like a kitchen doctor. This is a, a pretty unique role in Manhattan, where he'd like go to celebrities' apartments. And do up their kitchens. Oh wow! You know? Okay. So yeah. he had, he knew I'm probably making this shut up, but I'm pretty sure he did Puff Daddy's P Diddy, uh, and who <laughs> and, at that point was like you know yeah he, he was the yeah Don right, and um and he knew a lot of people in the music industry because that's you know those are the kind of people who who hire a fucking kitchen doctor yeah <laughs> so and he's like oh you make music I was like yes and it so happens I have a CD with me and he's like oh let me listen to it so he sat and he listened to the whole thing oh, all wow. the way through just with the headphones on it was like bopping along and afterwards you know he took off his headphones he's like man this is really good shit I'm gonna send this to my friend who runs uh, Shadow Records which is like a sort of trip hop label I was like what's trip hop what the fuck is trip hop <laughs> is that a thing was, okay fine and you know months and months went by and uh and eventually, I got a fucking record deal off the back of that. That's phenomenal. In, wow. You know, which does not happen. It's just so so fortuitous and serendipitous. Um, but that's how I got into the music industry. Yeah. Then my brother and I, we kind of teamed up and finished the record. And, and it got released in April 2001. That was the first release of, a, of an album. And don't you think, like, I think what you sort of show there is like, because I think we, I think there's one of the things that kind of gets sold to artists a lot is that, and this, I don't mean this to sound like really depressing or anything, but like, there's a kind of like, if you do these things, you will be a success. Like, you know, these are the the the, the roadmap to success is this, which we all know is not true because if it was, then we'd everyone would follow it and we'd all be successful, yeah. right? Um, and part of it, massive part of it is look, right, and relationships and meeting the right people and yeah. building, you no, know, building the relationships and, and cultivating those. That's the skill, right? That's where it matters. But like, yeah. no. Those moments of luck, those moments of just meeting people in the right time, place at the right time, you know, it's like they, that's sometimes the thing that kind of spins you. I mean, like, 
Yeah. But what you have to do is is create opportunities. You know, you have to be ready for that luck. You have to mm -hmm. you have to be constantly making shit, basically, and, and always put yourself out there and don't be afraid to fail. You know, because yeah. the more you fail, the more the more you set yourself up for success. But if you're if you're in a position where luck comes and you're not and you're not out there, you're not putting mm -hmm. yourself out there, you're, you're going to miss it. Sure. Um, but I probably left out, even though that was an incredibly long-winded rambling story, I know I left out a lot of detail because there was a lot of stuff of like, oh, need to make a demo to, you know, I'm working with people who, who were like, in, you know, trying to make me into a rock musician or something. I just wanted to use my guitar skills. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah. and we made demos and it was like, oh, you got to make a demo and you send it to labels and try to get, that, that was what you did back in the day. There yeah. was no other route. Yeah. You could, either you were, you know, out playing and you got noticed or, or you just made demos and sent them around. That never got anywhere. Never yeah. got me anywhere. But I also worked for like, I went, I went to work. F I tried to send my CV to all, this, all the recording studios in Manhattan to try and get a job, you know, mm. at like in the middle of university to make some money. And I did end up working for a, like a commercial studio that was doing ads and, and shit. And I got to know people a little bit that way. But um, that, was, that was hard, you know. It took, I had like, said, I said it's like, a hundred places and got like one interview. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly um, difficult to go out for that stuff. And one thing that, that always kind of uh, resonated with me was the idea that if you fail hard and you react really strongly to failing, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue that because there there is this idea that like you have to have a tough skin and it has to not get to you for you to fail but i mean for me personally neurodivergent and i have very little emotional regulation skills so if i fail and it's something i was really passionate about and it's going to happen and has happened over and over and over again in the industry i'm going to cry and i'm going to be upset about it and there's always that one fucking person who's like well then maybe you just shouldn't do it anymore yeah fuck them yep and i'm like you know it doesn't matter if you fail hard just that you have the resilience to get back up and try again and if you get back up and you want to try again then you're going to be fine it's an interesting one because uh, and maybe i'm just mildly sociopathic or just <laughs> or massively like egotistical but i've i don't because i don't really do regret and i also i mean not i do obviously in personal relationships and you know things like that i don't want to hurt people but i um i don't really I don't really quite failure. I don't really recognize it as a thing. And maybe that's weird, but like, I just, things, you start things and they work for a bit and then they stop. And I go, well, that was the length that was going to happen, right? Mm. Or if they didn't work out and you go, yeah, they didn't work out. And you're pissed off about it and there might be some fallouts and there might even be, you know, whatever. There's some controversy or so, whatever. But it's like, that happens. And, you know, like... Uh, but I, if I can learn from it, or and 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 some stuff, I think sometimes we're really in this habit, and again, this sort of binary thing that we're taught constantly, like good, bad, good, bad, mm. is like is like, what were the what what were the good things? Because just because it ended doesn't mean what happened within it wasn't great. Mm -hmm. You know, like there wasn't really good things. And what do you learn from it? And what do you take from it? And do you come out of it? 
And if, I don't know, and if you look back and just regret it all, then that's just a lot of energy pumped into a lot of bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then I've always like been like, well, okay, that that happened, you know, fuck it. And like I have, I mean, I have started a lot of shit. I've done a lot of things in my in my career, and partly because I'm freelancer, so I'm always constantly trying to find stuff to kind of just like because I'm terrified that you know someone's going to make me do a proper job. And so I just, <laughs> you know, I've always been really proactive. Um, I think, but the problem is, is that we live in this sort of like, and it's much like the happiness thing we talked about, about, you know, like the constant state of happiness. Now that's not a real thing. In the same way that success is not, a, like the constant state of success isn't a, or it's not a destination. You don't get there and stay mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It's like a town you move through. You have good bits, you have bad bits. Yep. That's especially yeah. true for music. Yeah, it yeah. Is, it, you have to realize it is a long game. Yeah. Absolutely. There used to be this, this real um, pressure to to, to do it while you're young because yeah. there was yeah. a lot of emphasis yeah. on, on youth and, and that you were just not marketable after a certain age. And that may, you know, that may be true to some extent in the, in the upper echelons of the pop industry. Well, or sort of, although actually they've, they've just shown recently quite a few artists have... Yeah, it's much, much less so yeah. now, mm. which is a good thing. That's it's interesting improved. though, like being in it that you can still feel, you know, because I was, I was raised in the generation of like growing up with, you know, Christina Aguilera and her dirty era and Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan and like the the press just unabashedly like marketing off marketing these people's personal uh, off of their bodies and yeah. their sexualization but also any mental health issues they may have. Mm. So even though I'm looking at the data now and going, yeah, I know that even in the pop industry there is a lot more room for people to to succeed after like 25 and I'm 25. I still feel the pressure from what I was brought up with of like, I didn't make it at 19, so I'm never going to make it. And so I have to actively undo that mm. within myself. And it's it's a hard thing to kind of yeah. unravel. It, it, it's still an industry that fetishizes youth. No, exactly. No and, 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 and women, you know, in yeah. terms of sexualization and women and, you know, yeah. the pressure. I can't imagine the pressure you must feel like in terms of like... The, like how you're supposed to look and be and act, and that that you know if you're if you know you're if you're sexy you're too sexy and, mm-hmm. and therefore you're not a feminist. And if you're too feminist, then you you know you hate men and you know you're you know you're just and and it's all about and ultimately it comes down to sex and it comes back down to control and it comes down to the the patriarchy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean I think I'm kind of uh, almost lucky because in terms of things like body image, which is definitely something that I still struggle with within the industry. Um, but I was raised in musical theater and that is still very archaic in the way that it, it looks at women's bodies on stage and men, but very much women. And so, you know, being raised in this idea is where it's sort of like ballet, where like, if you're not in this, if you're not in this group of this one particular body type, you're in the background or you're not in it at all. And then coming from that, to pop where I was suddenly seeing way more body shapes and like different expressions, uh, different self-expression for different people. It was like, I feel lucky that I was brought up with something that was more constrictive because now this feels a lot freer rather than the people who came from a pop background and are still in it. They probably have a different feeling. I just was brought up with something so constricting that this now feels 
much more free. I mean, Jesus Christ. If the, if the, if the music industry makes you feel free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and oh. the musical theatre is really fucked. Oh, it's really... I mean, I was actually reading articles um, the other day about people had put in... Um, people put in entries for uh, what had happened to them at school in the 70s and 80s. And like stuff that would never fly today. And I remember reading it and distinctly thinking... Drama school is so much worse than this. Like, I can't like reading it and being like, "That's nothing." I so like, it, it was it was actually nuts to me that I was, it just made me realize, oh my god, this industry is so archaic in the way that it deals with young adults. But hey ho, I'm lucky now. Like, so, so what made you make the switch from to music? Like, where, where, what kind of what was there? A kind of like a turning point, or was there like I've got something to say, or meeting people? What was it? Uh, it was kind of two turning points. One happened when I was very young. Um, I was actually raised in opera. I started singing with the Canadian Opera Company when I was like seven. God. Um, <laughs> so lots of you know very formal training, uh, and then around the age of fourteen. I got a horrific vocal infection that took me out for about a month. I couldn't make a noise for about a month um, and had to sort of retrain myself how to sing, cut my vocal range in half. Now I'm much more prone to getting vocal infections in perpetuity. Um, so after that, that was a massive blow to me because I always wanted to go into music and I kind of just thought, you know what, I'm in a musical theater but I can't hit these notes anymore. I'm in opera, but I can't do that anymore. Acting is what's left. So I thought, okay, I'll go into acting because then at least I'm close to the world. Mm -hmm. And then went to drama school, famously hated it. I'll say that to anybody that asks. <laughs> it's great for some people, awful for me. Um, and when I came out of drama school, I was kind of a shell of a person. And that was when lockdown had happened. Uh, and something really weird happened throughout my whole life. I'd been sort of uploading songs onto SoundCloud with no, like a diary, with no I, like production or any idea of getting them out there for someone to see. And I'd had a really bad emotionally abusive relationship and I'd written this song called Addicted when I was like 19. And I was just kind of cleaning up my SoundCloud and putting a lot of stuff on private while, I was in, while we were in lockdown. And I got a message from some guy in Brazil who had said, like, why did you take this song down? My girlfriend's devastated. And, like, she's been listening to this song almost every day for the last three years. And wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? Why? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, But that kind of hit me as, like, oh, maybe it's, I don't just have to go into musical, the like, maybe there's another way of doing this. And it seems to connect with someone, so maybe it'll connect with other people. I started writing some more. I, I ended up submitting them to camps and ended up at a camp in Wakefield where oh, yeah. I met you, Ed. Uh, hello. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> also, don't fuck with SoundCloud audience. Yeah, SoundCloud audience. <laughs> they are hardcore. They are into it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's literally like, it, it was like a switch. I always wanted to do music. I got my whole idea of self like destroyed and then went into something else got my idea of self destroyed in that and then switched back to music wow <laughs> that's quite a journey well, it was a journey that, yeah but you know that's 
I don't know. That, I mean, isn't that the, the way, though, isn't it? It's like a unique, everyone comes at it from a like unique point, right? We're not all like, oh, yeah, I picked up an instrument and then before I know it, I was, exactly. I'm, you know, in fact, most people kind of fall into it or are kind of dragged into it or, are, yeah. I don't know, just find themselves doing it, and, you know. And, and I kind of like that it had this this air of, I always wanted to do this as a kid. And then it was like almost no matter which path I took, I sort of ended up back here yeah. anyways. Like my body didn't want to do anything else. Right. So it's been really lovely to do that. In my case, it's my brain. It's my brain. It's the happiest my brain is in life is when I'm making music mm. and being in creative flow. And Oh, I love creative flow. Yep. And just being able to completely tune out everything else around me and being totally absorbed in the process. It's and almost like it's, a drug, yeah. like a high. But a, but a good drug. Yeah but, yeah, but like a being in the flow with a group of people especially. Yeah, that's really special. Yeah. It's 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 really hard to describe, but you're on the same frequency. Yeah. Musical relationships are a, are a very special thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're odd because you can it's not like everyone's going, "Yeah, you're great." And yeah, it's great. It's like it's <laughs> just like it's a bit. It's much more subtle than that, isn't it? It's like you're just sort of moving around each other, and it, and it and it's like an unspoken sort of. And it is a rare thing when you find it, and it's so beautiful when you're doing that. And you're like, you know, we've had moments like that, and we've had moments mm. like that, and it's like that thing where you're like, oh, this is just fucking working, yeah. You know, and you know, and you also it's that point of because not just knowing what is working, but it's also knowing what's not working, going mm. and not having to say no, this is working. Everyone gets really antsy. It's like. Yeah, it's not working. Everyone, and you just, you just kind of go, no, let's move on to something else. Yeah, and it'd be fine. And it kind of, um, and actually, more of a relief when you're in that state. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Flow, yeah. flow state. The we, flow state. We, we were pretty good at that, Ed. You yeah. And I. Yeah, I think so. Good going, no, this yeah. isn't working, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's try this. Yeah, it's the kind of it is the one drug. It's the high that we're all looking for when you're creative, right? It's meditation. Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing that you get for meditation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But meditation doesn't work for everybody, especially me, because my mind oh, does not like it when it's quiet. <laughs> my mind hates meditation. <laughs> yeah, music, meditation. You know? Yeah. And gaming. It's an active meditation, isn't it, when you're when you're in the flow state. But there is something also quite funny about when when the flow state gets interrupted. I remember we had a flow state on the first song we ever wrote together. Yeah. And there were some overtly kind of Christian parallels. <laughs> And I was raised yeah. in a Catholic household, yeah. and you clocked immediately because like, it was quite a sexualized song. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, because I was like, and I was like, you ain't trying to say you Catholic. And you were like, how the fuck did you know that? And I was like, I can just tell by the lyrics. And we were getting so into it. Yeah, we like really and then into one it. guy was not happy that we were writing with any sort of like overt religious themes. <laughs> and Ed and I kind of looked at each other like, Oh no! Like, <laughs> have to like, roll this back a bit. Yeah, we're like, oh, okay, uh, fine. Oh. <laughs> but it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, it was like we've been told off, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you had your teacher hat on too, so you were like, I had to be really like, you know, yes, we have to, we have to respect everyone's opinion. <laughs> so, so yes, we will do that. We will roll back on the. The, the, the se- we'll roll back on sexy Catholics because that's not okay. <laughs> and then it was only a couple days later, I think, we were having a drink and you were like, man, that was so good. Like, I can't believe we had to roll back on it. Like, really frustrated. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> 
it made, sorry, I just said sex. I was, it wasn't sexy like, it's, it's not like a sword. <laughs> to be fair, you were the one who were going the far. In fact, there was one point I was like, are you okay with this? I was really like, I don't want to be that creepy, like, you know, like 40-year-old guy going, oh, yeah, yeah, you keep writing that stuff. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so I was talking about, like, worshipping on the altar of a person and, like, stuff. Yeah. Then it was getting quite sexual. And Ed at one point was like, let us know if you're uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and by you like, are you okay, Ed, with this? <laughs> like, maybe it's your repression. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, flow state flow state god love it um yeah and how did you get into all of this ed what's your kind of oh, story god it's a long and windy um so uh i uh much like you actually seth which is you know public enemy were the gateway drug um <laughs> so my best friend matt who he did we talk about matt every week uh, he did the graphics for subtext uh we love matt we love shout matt. out to matt Shout out to Matt Lazenby. Um, he uh, he made me a tape. I was really into Michael Jackson. That's all I listened to was Michael Jackson. So nothing else. I had posters on the wall. It was like full shrine. Nothing else. And he was like, dude, there's other music out there. And I was like, yeah, is there? And he was like, <laughs> there is. And he made me a tape with what on one side was the Smiths and on the other was Public Enemy. <laughs> Which is quite the, uh, mm-hmm. quite the journey. And I love them both. I was like, oh my God, I have my brain. But particularly Public Enemy were like, I just, I'd never heard anything. It was like a barrage of sound. Was it Nation of Millions? It was Nation of Millions, obviously. (laughs) Same year. Yeah. And, you know, Nation of Millions holds back, which is considered by a lot of people the greatest rap album ever made. Uh, I'm always tricky with those kind of things. Um, But, like, it, you know, uh, and uh, in fact, if you turn around, Seth, you can see there's the Fight the Power live VHS Uh, right there, which uh, me me and Matt bought in HMV in the centre of Leeds in 1990. And, in fact, we got our mate, Stephen to go and buy it because we weren't 15 at the point <laughs> so we're like, we, and we really wanted it uh, and he, he was taller than us um, so yeah so I got I got into music like that and then me and, and I did theatre like you and, and mm. I, I sort of uh, and I went to uh, Goldsmiths and did drama and theatre arts but I specialised in sound design which was great because I got to kind of I got into music technology as was then um, and uh, and started making my own music and I'd been and I also DJ'd um, so me and Matt ran a couple a few nights and put on some live events and in Leeds there was a real active hip hop scene um, which is you know, been really recognised now. Uh, I'd started emceeing for a bit. Uh, so I was an MC for a while. Uh, that was nice. But I basically wanted to be a music producer. I realised that that was where I wanted to be. So I, I moved back to Leeds after being in London for three years because it just wasn't for me as a place. I didn't feel, ever feel at home there. And I always came back to Leeds and felt like it was kind of, like you say, been held, right? You know, mm-hmm. it was like a city that held me. Um, and... Um, uh, yeah, and then I just sort of, I went back to Leeds College of Music to do music production, HND, uh, which don't even exist anymore, High National Diploma. Uh, and I met a guy called Samagra, and we uh, really liked each other and really complimented each other. Um, he's size like the greatest human being. He's like just so calm and just pragmatic and just the most open, honest man you could ever meet. There was no ego or bullshit about him. Um, but incredibly talented and really smart. And uh, I, he was, uh, and he was a little bit older than I was, and we just 
connected and we decided, we sh- should we open a recording studio? <laughs> um, so we did and we sort of saved money and we made a business plan and we persuaded people to invest and, you know, fools that they were. And um, yeah, we opened a, a studio called Sound Mill and that ran for seven years and I just became really active on Lee's music scene and did loads and loads of recording in indie. And then I moved to, we moved to Iga uh, and we had to shut down due, after the June because there was the global, you know, fucking shit show where everyone lost money above the banks uh and uh yeah and but so essentially that's how i got here and and i yeah and i've worked through various you know labels and publishing and all that stuff and i just i just still find love in it and i still i still feel like i'm the start of my career which is you know and i'm like deep into this shit now um but it still really excites me but I still also work in theatre as well, so I do a lot of sound design in, and composition in theatre, which I love. Um, and my wife's a theatre maker as well, so it's like I really get to kind of straddle both worlds. And I'll see him teaching as well, which I really enjoy. And I've sort of really rekindled my love for it, actually, my kind of academic love as well. Um, so, like, I really, you know, get to wear lots of hats and, and I spin a lot of plates and it can be exhausting sometimes. Um but I'm better at recognizing the boundaries where I need to stop. Um, I know like things like I need exterior, extended periods of rest. And I've learned be- the big things, learning how to kind of control my energies and stuff. But then it's also about kind of, and I think we talked about this earlier, was like, you know, he's also realizing what success looks like for you as well. And I think that's one of the things I've tried to learn as I've got older. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people fall into that trap. This is what we were talking about before um, the podcast started is that, you know, people will have their overarching goal of like, I want to be the the next Taylor Swift or I want to be, you know, the next insert band or or music practitioner here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but those are all the results of often decades of work. Yeah. And so just making that your goal in general without having any smaller goals that are steps to getting you to where you want to go and ones that are achievable can make you, you know, it can, it can really run you down because you feel like you're constantly not reaching your goal. But it can also make you susceptible to certain people or groups taking advantage of that being your goal because yeah. they'll promise you everything and yeah. take from you. Yeah, and that's very much of the, you know, the, the, the music industry is very much, and not like, I mean, like, it's not unique to the music industry, but, you know, that idea, because... The hype, the kind of the 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 meta narrative of the music industry is global dominance and mm-hmm. until riches and you know swimming pools and rock and roll and all that shit, trashing hotel rooms, trashing hotel rooms, all that, which <laughs> seems to be very much linked to men getting away with really shitty behaviour towards women, actually. But you know that's my other rant. Um, like these these are very you know select few artists who rise to the very top and sustain and become kind of global and sustain is the key word there because i was gonna say there are a lot of groups that you will see you know pop up as the one hit wonders and stuff like that and they will be taking those pictures in those hotel rooms living the life and then five years later it's it's not they haven't sustained it it's it's fallen through so you may have reached that goal but then you also have to experience the fall right after that and and you know there's definitely part of the music industry which encourages the the kind of the excess because it suits right you know the rise and fall narrative the rise and fall narrative it suits the story works but also just the kind of like you know 
you give a bit of money to some people who haven't got a lot of money or, or you know, or desperate to have some money or, you know, or, or, or at least what looks like money but is actually just a lot of trappings around it. Mm. And then, and then that's, and they go, here's the success. And you're like, oh my God, I'm in a nice hotel and I'm getting free beer and, you know, all that shit. But actually you take that away and it's like, what have I got left? Exactly. You know, and the, the really great artists are the ones who've kind of either, you know, you know, managed to kind of deviate or kind of get new stuff or they've, you know, they've saved their money or they've controlled their rights, which is a big thing. Big you know, the big one is like literally just, you know, making sure that they know where their rights are going or they've, you know, they've realized that actually if I say no to all this shit like the, that you're offering and I'm just going to take my own path, that's when I'll succeed. Mm. Yeah, and that's a very rare artist indeed. And yeah. Many, many have uh, not had either the motion, emotional resilience or the privilege, or the luck, or or you know, I mean, I just keep thinking of Amy Winehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and we talked about this again last time. Was that kind of like that that selling of oblivion? You know, with the the kind of said mentioned it last time about Pete Doherty and how you know everyone wanted to die and like <laughs> that kind of attraction, that sort of making that kind of like oblivion and a part of the attractive quality of. It, so I remember the guy from, sorry, I'm really going off on one here, but like the no, guy from Keen, okay? So do you remember Keen? There was Keen were like, mm. so it was Coldplay and Keen came up together. And Coldplay obviously went on to be kind of global megastars, but Keen, and Keen was sort of seen after these sort of soft boys. Like they were kind of like, he had long hair and he had these kind of rosy cheeks and he was kind of, he was, he was a bit of a posh boy, I think. And everyone was like, oh, Keen. And he went into, uh, he went into rehab for alcoholism. And people laughed. They were like, oh my, how is he a fucking alcoholic? Mm. This sort of like nicey posh boy. And it was like, it was a joke. It was a joke in the music press. It was a joke in, in the media. And it was like, there were other rock stars going, <laughs> yeah, like he's a fucking alcoholic. It was like, yeah, he has a substance abuse fucking problem yeah, is what he has. I think that also speaks a lot to the begrudgery that goes on yeah. in the music industry. Yeah. You know? And that's not a healthy attitude to take. No. You, you will set yourself up for failure if yeah. you are a begrudger and you make a culture out of that. Absolutely. And I do think that the, the industry also um, capitalizes on the idea of infamy. And I, I always come back to this quote that's like, you, you die once, once when your heart stops beating, or you die twice, once when your heart stops beating and again when someone says your name for the last time. And so... And I think that that is maybe not articulated, but reflected in this kind of oblivion that people are chasing because you'll hear people talk about people like Kurt Cobain or Amy Winehouse in a very envious way. Mm -hmm. And it's because we're still talking about them. We're still listening to their music. But they always seem to forget that they're not here anymore. Yeah. Like they talk about them in relation to their work and how their work has lived on. And I think, like, when you take away the fact that they're removed from us, the, you know, the, what is it, five-degree five, five degree removal kind of thing, they're removed from us. We didn't see their public life. But if you think about anybody in your life who's a musician, or if you're a musician, would you really want any of their, would you consider that ending to their story a success? Yeah, actually, I did meet Amy Winehouse. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so that one hit me pretty hard, yeah. personally, yeah. because I met her right before her career took off when she mm. was showcasing Frank yeah, um, at the Leopard Lounge in London. And we tried to sign her. I was working for a shitty label and had no hope of signing her. Yeah. But um, Island Records were there and they did oh, yeah. sign her. I, I, um, 
I remember seeing uh, Michael Stipe from REM interviewed, uh, and he was he was very close to Kurt Cobain, and and Michael Stipe was just obviously yeah he was my friend who died, you know like, and I don't think I did enough to save him. Like mm. there was no like oh he burned bright and faded away. Exa- like, and that's how yeah, the media treats it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was like no he just died and he's not here anymore and. That's really sad. In the same way that John Lennon's the cool Beatle, right? Because he got shot. Like, mm. he didn't get old. I mean, or he, you know, he he didn't get to the point where you got Paul McCartney years of, oh, God, he's so embarrassing. The dude is in his 80s, you know, like, like you know, like, give him a fucking break. You yeah. know, like, he isn't that guy he was when he was in 20. He's had to, and, I, and I'm admiring massively this, he's had to repeatedly talk about 10 years of his life for the majority of his life yeah. and tell the same fucking stories and act like he's grateful even though he was like oh my god I've got to tell this fucking story about a cavern again or Ringo again or whatever you know and he, and he does and he does it with absolute you know joy and you know like and I don't know this sort of like again and that sort of like getting old is a bad thing right we mm. hate old rock stars now because they're old and they remind us that we're going to get older, and we hate that. That's about, mm. and that's our own on our own mortality. Surely, that's more about. This is more about us as people than it does about them. You know, it's like it's our, well, our, yeah. our culture does not value old people. No, yeah, exactly. Sadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think something else that um, we had talked about before uh, we started this podcast that you sort of touched on there was gratitude, because I was saying, you know, from my background in theater. Um, and I do find this to be a pervasive attitude in the in the music industry as well. It and and it puts people in danger, in my opinion, especially new young artists. Is that this industry is oversaturated? Insert art art industry here. This industry is oversaturated. A thousand, a million people want whatever opportunity you've just been given. You always take it, and you're always grateful. Mm-hmm. And that puts people at so much risk. Because some of these companies, some of these people, some of these company companies that don't have your best intention, will use all the right buzzwords. And if you have been in the industry or you're just starting out in the industry, you know that you are quote unquote supposed to take that opportunity and mm. just be grateful they noticed you. Yeah. Yep. As a as a uh, my advice to any young artist in this case would be if something sounds too good to be true that's being offered to you you must do your best to research it and mm-hmm. see what other people's experiences of of that opportunity have been and make absolutely sure it is not some kind of scam because yeah. chances are nine times out of ten it is yeah. i'm i'm always more like i yeah i'm and maybe it's more about my psyche but like if someone's promising a lot then you'll probably need to be a bit wary, right? Because, like, it's, you know, like, I like the people who are going, listen, well, I don't know if it's going to work. We could, you know, and, you know, and that's how we started this label is like, we all said to each other, listen, this might not work, you mm. know, this really might fail. That's the reality. There's you no know, guarantee in the music industry. No. And, you know, and, and that's at the very top as well, you know, pe- you know, those people who've had millions pumped into them. And again, I always feel for those guys, you know, those, those kids who, like, you know, you see them, they a lot of them, I you know I remember I remember there'd been a band um they were like a girl band they came post they were post um uh, Spice Girls so they kind of like rushed towards releasing lots of I think the girl thing and they their first single entered at number 8 and they were immediately dropped you know like and 
I, if I got a single at number eight, fuck, I'd be fucking dancing on the roof. Holy shit. <laughs> Over the moon. We'd be, we be, we be unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> you would have a podcast the next week that's just us going, number eight, <laughs> number eight. <laughs> we check it. Number eight. Number eight. <laughs> oh, you'd like it after eight? <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. I just ate. I feel like no one's, I feel like we've just given people, <laughs> we've just given people a snapshot into how unbearable we'd be if we're successful and they're yeah. all going to go, well, I'm not going to stream that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can't have that happening. Uh, yeah, the Patreon, you say? No, I don't think no, so. No, no. <laughs> oh, shit, the Patreon. Oh, we didn't oh, do the right. Patreon. Yeah, we didn't do that. If if you have actually listened this far, man, I, I then just we love thank you so thank you. fucking thank much. You. Pat on the back. Yeah, hug. too right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you have, that means you're you're probably committed enough to to possibly consider supporting us on the patreon.com slash subtext S-U-B-T-X-T for just three pounds a month. Three you, pounds a month. Three, three pounds a month. It's the magic that's number. Like, that's like a dollar or something. I don't even know. Um, <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> it's like less than a cup of coffee a month. Yeah. And if you did that, it would help us absolutely tremendously to support what we do and we're still going to give you the podcast for free but we could give our artists more support we could do more shit yes we so could we would be so grateful if you'd think about that thank you very much thank you very much um so i think this leads us nicely on to our our so we we, we have usual the one uh, this is our one feature i would say yeah uh um and this is our recommend section I feel like we should have a jingle recommend yeah <laughs> we'll have to make a jingle I'll we'll have to make a jingle <laughs> subtext recommendation <laughs> uh, oh that was that was just Brooklyn <laughs> yeah I was just thinking that <laughs> yeah uh, so um, this is where we recommend something and it can be anything it could be a book it could be a film it could be uh, a walk it could be, you know, a place, whatever. Uh, a walk. <laughs> or some like food. a National Trust route. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you've sure. gone somewhere nice. I don't know. Yeah, damn straight. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be this week, but... Okay, what, good. What you got, Ed? Oh, uh, I've got... Um, so I read the... Or I didn't read, actually. That's a lie. I listened to because I'm dyslexic and therefore listen to audiobooks. I listened to the audiobook of uh, Berserker, uh, which is the... Biography, uh, the autobiography of uh, of Adrian Edmondson, who was um, in the Young Ones, he's most famous for really, and he was one half of Bottom with Rick Mail, and basically was for a lot of years was kind of in a creative partnership with uh, Rick Mail. It is just such a beautiful story. I think uh, so. He's Rick Mail's from Bradford, by the way, not Rick Mail. Sorry, uh, Adrian Edmondson's from Bradford, and he had just had an amazing journey, and he's so honest uh, and about his. Uh, about his about his journey, about his mental health, about his um, his success, about his like what he's just his career. You know, it's like really, I, he's just a lovely guy. You know, and he's not, you know, and and all, what I love as well is that he's also going. I did this thing. I think I was pretty good in it actually. You know, like rather than going, oh, you know, that kind of slightly sometimes tiresome self deprecation thing. He was like, you know, he does plenty of that, and it's funny. But he also goes. Actually, that I was I was pretty good in that. I mean, it's interesting that he talks about the young ones, you know, and we talk about McCartney. The young ones took up like uh, I think fourteen weeks of his entire career. You know, this wow. is something that he is, you know, he was so landmark, and people want to talk to him about all the time. Um, but yeah, and just dealing with fame as well and what that means. So yeah, I recommend. So it's uh, it's out on Audible. It's out on generally. So Berserker by uh, Adrian Emerson. Uh, Eli, what you got? 
Uh, I'm going to recommend a uh, documentary series. There's two seasons out now. It's called The Vow, not the Rachel McAdams and Channing Tatum movie. It's very important that I make that distinction. <laughs> I think it's a little bit different from that. It's a little bit yeah. different. <laughs> um, it's about the Nixium cult uh, and how sort of how they came to be. Um, the Nixium cult has been all over the news for the last few years uh, because they had so many... Um, very powerful backers like they have you know former presidents of mexico's son and like the um heiresses to the seagram's empire and so they'll take down anybody who comes out speaking against them so there's this group of people that have sort of created this documentary and what i found most interesting is that mark vicente who is the um creator of the what do what the bleep do we know documentary that came out in like the early 2000s which is one of the highest grossing documentary films ever at that point. Um, he was a very integral member of this group for almost 12 years. Um, and so he has, with this documentary, released all the footage that he took within this group and documented him and his wife getting out. And his wife came to the realization before he did. So there was a whole bunch of stuff with their marriage and, and it, it, the way that it spirals, I think, really clearly shows how fragile we are in our minds and how easily susceptible we are because they had people who were extremely successful give away everything that they have. And it even goes to the point of, like, human branding and stuff like that. So it, it spirals. It's an incredible documentary. There's two seasons, and it's amazing, and I would definitely watch it. <laughs> Unfortunately, what you've done now is unveil my grand plan, which was to use this as a platform to start a cult. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Eli. <laughs> so, where's it available? What's it on? Oh, right. It's on uh, Amazon Prime right now. Cool. Um, but there's a couple different documentaries that have been released on it. And I think there's also, there's a New York Times piece and a bunch of other stuff that you can find that's also free to get. So, definitely look into it because it is just mind-boggling. And I could talk about it for hours. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know anything about that one. No, no, I didn't. Well, there either. was a, a chapter in Vancouver, which is how I got, which is how I found out about <laughs> which it. How I got, got into which it. is how I got into it myself. <laughs> uh, Seth? Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm going for a book as well. But this book is from, uh, it's been around a while. It's from 1935. And it's a very short book. But it's, a, it was a, I read this a long time ago, but I've, I brought it out again because of this single that we've just released, uh, um, Forever War. Uh, the book is called uh, War is a Racket. And when I say short, I mean it's like 25, 30 pages long. It's more of a booklet. That's amazing, wow. though. But, um, it was written by this guy, Major General Smedley D. Butler. Yeah, which is just... Surely it, made up, right? That's a phenomenal <laughs> name. It, it's right, yeah. Um, I don't think anyone's named their kid Smedley since 1935. <laughs> but... Um, he was obviously, he rose to the rank of Major General, which is a really fucking high rank in the U.S. military. But he wrote this book in retirement after he, he came back to civilian life and realized, or he just sort of had a reckoning with himself that all his life he'd been a tool of Wall Street. He'd been involved mm. in, in, you know, basically stealing resources from poorer countries for the sake of, you know, profits for Wall Street. And that's, that's the function of the U.S. military by and large. So the you know the idea is that he's he's exposing the it was there wasn't yet the military industrial complex but it was it was it hadn't been called that yet but um, this is right before 
the Second World War. So it was kind of a, a quite a crucial time. Mm. And, and he exposed it. He was, you know, and as far as I know, he's the only person in, you know, with a platform to be able to do that, to have actually done it. And it's, um, it's, it's very powerful. And he also he details at the end how you can smash the war racket, which is essentially to take the profit out of war. Oh, that's really interesting. And also to um, invest those who are actually going to fight the war with the exclusive ability to vote on whether it should happen or not. Oh, so he has wow. a, he has a, a literally a it's like a manifesto of how the how can we smash this industry? How can we take it down and uh, make make it appropriate to what it should be, which is really for defense. Yeah, you know. So, and I've never read anything as as. Um, uh, good, <laughs> like right. a better yeah. word on that subject. It's like we've had the solution the whole time, uh, but it doesn't get amplified. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend. Why. I wonder why. I wonder why. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, um, so, where is that available? Um, well, you can read for free online. You can get. You can just search for "War is a Racket" uh, PDF, and you could just grab it that way, or you can buy it on yeah, from anywhere. From anywhere. It's anywhere. Yeah, I got. Yeah. It. I got a copy from ABE Books just to avoid Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, so, um, so one of the things we want to do in the next uh, the next episode is we want to start because we're you know we started and primarily should be a record label, um, but you know we've been doing this talking which was kind of the point was was to build a platform for the label and give voices but we we really want to start from the next episode doing um artist focus so actually looking at the artists on our label initially but what we really would like to do as well is beyond that is to use this little platform that we have to amplify other artists. So if you are an artist and you are listening and you want some people to talk about your music um and uh, uh, please send us it. We'll, we'll listen to everything that you send us um, and we'll hopefully play a snippet, point people towards you um, and we won't do it this late in the podcast either. So you know, <laughs> we'll try and do it up front so it'll be worthwhile for you. So, yeah, and we're so excited to hear anything that you might want to send us. Yeah, absolutely. So, And you can do that by emailing info at subtext.co.uk. That's without any. So uh, before the next episode, can we try not to A, break anything or B, get ill? We can We can try. I, mean, I said that so doubtfully. <laughs> Basically, you're going to leave and break an arm. That's ex- uh, that's probably what's going to happen. My toe's probably going to be broken. Yeah. Just uh, put the dolls down. Yeah, <laughs> just put the fucking, the, yeah, put the dolls down. Yeah, guys. we need the curse to be lifted, yeah. please. <laughs> please. <laughs> so if someone's listening, send help. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, all the best. Until next time, dig deep and shout loud.